May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. This Sunday uh, offers quite a few options, as our lectionary often does. And uh, so um, one of the options is Candlemas, the presentation of Jesus in the temple, uh, which is on Thursday. And we could have pushed that out to next week, but next week is also Waitangi Day. So it just seemed like we're putting way too much on that Sunday, so we'll just pull presentation forward a week. So, uh, so we're doing that this week, and that's why our um, second reading was from Luke, which is a little bit unusual. Some of you may have raised your eyebrows. That's not where the gospel usually goes, but we had it there. So we could at least hear the story of the presentation of Jesus. So more commonly, the presentation of Jesus is called Candlemas because uh, this is the day that the candles for the coming year, and these represent the candles for the coming year, uh, are blessed. And in some traditions where the stubs from the previous year are then handed out to the congregation. Because candles give light and help us see. And so not only uh, do they mean that in terms of just physically being able to see, but also spiritually see. And uh, in some traditions, the candle stubs were given to those who were dying so they could hold it while they died uh, with it lit so it would light their way to the next life. So uh, candles are important. Candle Mass, which is uh, on the 2nd of February, is also 40 days after Christmas Day. So uh, the Christmas Epiphany season is a 40-day season, just like Lent is a 40-day season. And it is a season for us to be in the light of God revealed in Jesus. So through that time we had uh, the story of Jesus born, uh, revealing God to us in a poor town in Luke's, in Luke's Gospel, in a stable. Uh, we had... Um, the story of the coming of the Magi, uh, the astrologers, um, greeting Jesus as the Messiah and uh, Jesus being revealed to the Gentiles. So this is not just a story for the Jewish people, it is a story for everyone. We also heard about Jesus' baptism, where he is revealed to be God's son. Uh, and we heard about the beginnings of his ministry last week. And this week we hear about uh, the beginning of his teaching. We hear more about who Jesus is through each of those stories. And as we hear about who Jesus is, we learn more about who God is. And we often forget that bit. We often kind of have our ideas about who God is. And we try to smush Jesus into that. But actually for the gospel writers and for those who wrote the lectionary, it's the other way around. Jesus teaches us who God is. We need to keep hanging on to that. And so through this time of epiphany, we have been invited to think more about that. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is presented as the new Moses, bringing in the empire of heaven, living out God's loving justice. Each Sunday we have been invited to see more, and in a sense, the candles have grown brighter. 
And each Sunday we are invited to wrap our minds around what is being presented. Our minds are to be blown. One of the reasons I stuck with uh, Epiphany 4, for Sunday after Epiphany this week, is because uh, it's all about the Beatitudes. And so to understand Matthew's Gospel, you really need to, to begin with the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. It is a key piece of teaching, and in some ways you can understand the rest of the, of the Gospel to be a kind of teasing out of what Jesus presents in this teaching. So it's important that we take time to listen and to see with those Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, to allow them to reveal God to us in Jesus. So let's hear that story again, but going back a little bit. So Jesus returns from the wilderness where his identity is sorely tested by the Satan, and he hears of John's the baptizer's arrest and responds by returning to Galilee, to a small fishing town on the Sea of Galilee called Capernaum, where he teaches and he heals. And crowds come to him, poor people, sick people, people ground down <coughs> by poverty brutally imposed by their imperial overlords, breaking their backs trying to survive, invisible broken, crushed by Rome's empire. Mourning the deaths of children and family members, mourning their lives, longing for another way. Jesus brings healing and hope in his actions and his words. Eventually he calls some people who have been listening to him, engaging with him, fishermen and others, and he invites them to give away all that they are, to let go of who they are, their family, their place in their community, those relationships and roles that sustained and defined them, and he invites them to follow, follow to a new identity, to be his disciples, to this new rabbi, and some follow. And after a short while, he gathers them up a hill overlooking their world. Overlooking all that they had known of life. So this is a photo from uh, the Sermon of the Mount, the mount where the sermon is given and looking down on Capernaum. They are overlooking all that they had known of life with its grief and despair. Violence always lurking at the edge. Poverty defining each day. The constant demand of upholding honour, surviving Rome, paying the masters, staying alive. And Jesus looks around at his new disciples and at those others who saw them go and tagged along, listening in from the edges. Where are you in this story? And gesturing at this world, gesturing at the place he has taught and healed, 
He gives words to his deeds. And he says, imagine a world where the most important people are the poor, the broken, those who have lost hope. We might call them the poor in spirit. How different would this world be? Can you imagine a world where we look up to those who mourn? Or where people aspire to be like the meek? That is what the empire of heaven looks like. I long for people to join me in honouring those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Where we all revere the merciful, not the powerful. Where all have enough to thrive and hunger and fear are no more. Imagine a world where the pure in heart receive the greatest honour. Or where children grow up aspiring to be numbered among the peacemakers. True peace, based on God's desires for all, God's shalom. Not Rome's peace, based on legions. For the sake of all you see out there, all who are listening, all who have come for healing and hope, hold in the greatest honour those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the empire of heaven. I say to you, blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in, in God. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Sit with those words for a moment. See yourself on that mountain listening to those words. How do you respond? How do others respond? Can you imagine? Some are stunned. These brand spanking new disciples. This is not what they were expecting. Some of them cannot believe their ears. What would it mean to live this? is different from our world and yet that is what Jesus taught what would it mean in this country if we started with this vision what would the poor the broken and those without hope need to thrive who would we even place in that category this year is an election year We've already seen a lot of electioneering over the last, well, two years, if we're honest. 
How do we use the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount to shape what we aspire for, these, for, these, for this country? How do we use the Sermon on the Mount to even wrestle with some of the issues that we are facing? How does it help us name some of those issues and look for ways forward? So just to step out onto dangerous ground, always a good thing to do. Some of the election issues already are around co-governance and the Māori Health Authority. And I understand why people are a little anxious around co-governance, although us as Anglicans, we've been living it for over 30 years, so I'm not sure why we're a bit anxious about it. It's part of our DNA now. And uh, here in Tauranga and around the country, co-governance has been a play ever since treaty settlements came in. And there are co-governance agreements all over the place, most of which we haven't even noticed, despite the fear-mongering. But I get that people are anxious about that. But what I am less kind of... What surprises me more is the Māori Health Authority. If we look at our health system, when it was first designed, one of the things that really surprised me when I read Michael King's uh, biography of Princess Tapua and the Waikato was how difficult it was for Māori to access health care. Because our health system wasn't designed with Māori in mind. It was designed for settlers. And that's where it was primarily aimed at. And if there was spare, then Māori could access it. So part of her work was to provide a health system for Māori in the Waikato. It's one of the things she's known for. Māori health statistics are appalling across the board. They have the highest infant mortality rate, they have the lowest life expectancy, and every other health statistic, they are at the bottom. Every one. One system for all has not worked. We need to find some different ways. It's as simple as that. So you might not agree with the Māori Health Authority, but you cannot simply say, we'll keep things as they are. Because it doesn't work. If a chunk of your population doesn't live as long as everyone else, and then you roll out vaccines and you put an age on that, that means that piece of the population doesn't get access to those vaccinations, for example, until other groups have long had access to it, which puts them at further risk. And for many Māori, they don't trust the health system, because for too long it has not met their needs, as we saw during COVID. So we need to find some different ways. For me, the Beatitudes say, who are the poor? The hopeless, the poor in spirit, well, that group of people are amongst them. So how do we place them first and deal with issues that we can then provide what they need to thrive? And if they thrive, we all thrive. That's what the attitudes are about. So as we face these issues as a country, and there are other issues, how do we name who are named in the attitudes? How do we place them first? 
and how do we think about what are the issues that face them and how do we find ways of creating solutions so that everyone in this country can thrive. That's what the Beatitudes, Matthew's version and Luke's version, ask of me and us. So I invite you to turn around and have a conversation about some of those things for a few minutes and then we will bless some candles but they will continue to symbolically allow us to continue God's love to light our way.